You're listening to audio from New City Church in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. We are a gospel-centered church with a heart for the next generation, passionate about making disciples who will renew our city in the real Jesus. For more information about New City, please visit our website at www.mynewcity.church. It is such a joy to be here with you this morning. You can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to be preaching a sermon this morning titled Humble Generosity. Uh, But first, just want to let you know a little bit about myself. My name is Jared, and as Nick said, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor in southern Illinois. I'm in Carbondale, Illinois, which is about three hours south, uh, part of a church called Christ Church Carbondale, and I get to serve and a plurality of elders there as we love our people and love our city, and God is doing a, a, a great work, and we're plugging along, and, um, and so it's been uh, about five years now that since we, we, since we planted Christ Church of Carbondale. I'm here this morning with my son, Ransom. Ransom's here on the second row here. Ransom, just throw your hand in the air right there real quick for me. There we go. He went like that. Uh, my wife, Jordan, is at home, and we have another little boy named Valor. And he is two years, he's two years old now, about be three in January, and then we got a little girl on the way. And so Jordan wished she could be here this morning. So traveling three hours when you're you know, a month away from having a baby is not all that fun, and so she stayed home. Uh, she's also recovering. Two days ago, we, we went to the uh, ER. She had a kidney stone, and that was not fun at all. But she's recovering well. Um, okay. We do, as I said, love Nick and Aaron. We've been so blessed by them, and we're so thankful for what God is doing through their family and through their growing family and, uh, and what God is doing here at New City. I've already met several of you today, and it's really neat to hear about how the merging of the two churches have happened. And, you know, it's, it's so neat. I just leaned over and told my son, you know, we have family here. This is my brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, people who, who are blood-bought, and uh, even though we've never if we've not met face-to-face to face yet, we have an eternity together forever to get to know each other, and I'm so thankful for that. Matthew chapter 6, you can go ahead and lay your eyes on chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, and then we're going to be in verse 19 through verse 24. We're going to go ahead and hear from the word of the Lord and then pray yet again. This is the word of the Lord. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees it in secret will reward you. Verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one, and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to hear from you. I pray we would not miss this supernatural moment where we get to open our Bibles 
And they're printed on the page are your very words. Help us not come skeptical. Help us come with open ears and open eyes, open hearts to hear and receive all that you would have us hear and receive. If there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, I pray that the words that Jesus preached, that he spoke on this Sermon on the Mount, I pray that they would penetrate their heart, and I pray that their heart would be exposed. I pray that sin would be exposed, and I pray that they would run to you this morning, Jesus. I pray that their palms would sweat. I pray that they would grab the pew in front of them. I pray that they would be uncomfortable, and they would cry out for forgiveness and mercy and find it this morning. For believers in Christ in the room, my brothers and sisters, my family here this morning, uh, challenge us, encourage us, spur us on to humble generosity. I pray against greed. God, I pray that you would help us to slay that dragon. Slay it today, slay it tomorrow, slay it the next day, that we would be humble and generous people. We love you. We need your help. Holy Spirit, point us to Jesus. I trust that you will. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm sure you've heard this many times going through the Sermon on the Mount, but there is a unique way that the commands of Christ come to the, to the Christian and to the non-Christian. And so when we're listening in here today, if you're a non-Christian this morning, you're here just to kind of exploring the Christian faith, or maybe somebody invited you in, or your mom or dad required you to be here, or maybe a neighbor invited you to come, and you're here this morning, uh, you're going to be hearing these commands from the Sermon on the Mount a uniquely different way than Christians are going to hear these commands. And so we need to hear the commands in the right way, depending upon who you are. And so if you're a non-believer this morning, the commands that Christ gives, I'm praying, and Jesus is so good about this. He's so good at getting to the heart of the matter. I pray that you would hear the law of God, the commands of God, and you would realize that you have sinned against a holy God. Christians believe, because the Bible teaches, that all people are born sinners in rebellion against God. And so when you hear the commands of God, the purpose of these commands are to drive you to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is doing. He's given us commands and showing us that we fall woefully short of the holiness of God. And so when you hear these commands, you should, if you hear them properly as a non-believer, you should bow your knee, whether physically or metaphorically, to the holy God that you have sinned against and ask for mercy and you will find it. God will give you mercy. And so I want you to hear the commands and be driven to Jesus in repentance and faith this morning. If you're a believer, then we hear these commands in a, uni in a unique way as well, because we're not running to Jesus for forgiveness yet again, because we have been born again. The Holy Spirit of God resides within us. And so when we hear these commands, this is about who we are becoming as the people of God. The Sermon on the Mount casts this new vision for humanity, and we walk in that vision for humanity. What God is doing is making a holy people, and so we are living out these commands through the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God as we live gratuitous lives, thankful for what God has done for us. We now want to become what Jesus is talking about. We want to be transformed from the inside out. So first, this morning, we get a warning. We get a warning, we get this word, beware, beware, or watch out. And, you know, we, when we hear the word beware, it should be obvious to us all that there's something to look out for. There's a danger that Jesus is warning us against. Beware of this. It's going to be a temptation for us. Let's just read it in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Here's the structure of these three, three verses. Do not do this, so don't do this, the warning, don't do this. Then Jesus is gonna give a real life example of this mistake, so don't do this, real life example, and then we're gonna be instructed on what to do. Instead, do this, pretty simple. We'll follow the same pattern in 19 through 24 here in just a minute. So first, beware, watch out. This is something that is absolutely dangerous. It is rot to your soul. 
Beware for this. Beware of practicing righteousness before other people so that they will see you practicing that righteousness. Hmm. Now, practicing righteousness is a very good thing, is it not? It's a phenomenal thing to live an obedient life, to exercise your faith and demonstrate that faith through works, as you talked about James just a minute ago and what you got to do yesterday in the city. It is a right, true, and holy thing to obey the Lord Jesus Christ, and to practice your righteousness. But it is not a good thing to practice your righteousness to be seen by other people, if that is your motive. The praise of man is a dangerous drug. It really is. It is a dangerous drug, so much so that there are some people who will practice righteousness, who will obey God, not because they want to obey God, but because they want you to see them obeying God. They will use God to get what they really want, which is the attention of people. That if, if people would have their eye on me, if they will see what I'm doing, then I will be happy. The praise of man is a dangerous drug. Now, there's a pull inside of people, both Christian and non, even in spirit-filled Christians, to practice obedience to God for this strategic purpose to secure the praise of the world or the praise of peers, coworkers, whoever it is, whoever it is that you want to impress. These motivations hide deep inside of our hearts, and when the Holy Spirit reveals them, we see it for what it is. It's ugly. It's really ugly. Doing the right thing for the wrong motive is an ugly thing. Uh, virtue signaling, signaling is always going to be around because virtue signaling is so much easier than virtue. And so I can appear virtuous if the people I want to impress will see that I'm doing what's impressive to them. And Jesus is warning us, beware of that. Do not live for the praise of people. It's a dangerous drug. There is a strong desire inside of us for other people to think well of us. Is there not? Certainly, I'm not alone this morning. I know that even as I'm saying this, you're like, yeah, okay, yeah. There are areas of my life where I want others to think well of me. It's a strong desire. It's there. Uh, mankind wants the praise of people so much as just stated just a second ago, that we'll use the practice of righteousness. God, I'm going to obey you today. We'll use the practice of righteousness to secure what we really want, which is not the Father's praise. It's the praise of peers or my city. And if you do that, you forfeit your reward from your heavenly Father. If you do that, you will have no reward from God. Other people will be impressed, but God will not be impressed. God will not be impressed. So here's what Jesus is going to do, okay? He's going to give us an example, a real-life example of what he just said. Now let's just demonstrate this point. Jesus is going to tell us in verse 2. Thus, when you get to the needy, sound no trumpet before you go, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now we just heard this word, Reward, and we know that those who are practicing the righteousness to be seen by others will not be rewarded by their Heavenly Father, but there still is a reward. There's a reward for practicing righteousness to be seen by others. It's just not the praise of God. Um, so notice the assumption that Jesus makes as he's preaching this sermon, and for us in the room, for everybody in the room, the assumption that Jesus has is that we will be giving to the needy. 
So when you give to the needy, thus, when you give, not if you give, when you give, that's the expectation, is that people will be giving to the needy. There's this impulse inside of us. Even if that impulse is to be seen by others, we, there's, there's a, a, the life of a Christian, a compassion to want to give, to want to help. And even in non-Christians, the common grace of God is seen by non-Christian philanthropy. We see it even in the, in the world of people who don't claim to know God or love God. They want to give to help people in need. That is, by the common grace of God. But what Jesus is warning against is this real-life example that the Pharisees are demonstrating. There are those religious people who are standing on the side of the corners that Jesus calls hypocrites. They stand in the synagogues and the streets, and they're sounding a trumpet to make sure everybody knows that they are giving to the poor. That's what the hypocrites do. There is a right and wrong way to be generous. There is a right and wrong way to give to the needy. There is a right and wrong way to live out the Christian life. If you're doing it, again, to be praised by others, it's absolutely and 100% hypocritical. It's a warning to individuals. Don't sound the alarm. Don't take an Instagram of you helping a little old lady across the street so everybody will know that you're helping a little old lady across the street. I mean, for all, I mean, please help her across the street. But don't hashtag it and Instagram it. Your reward are those, are those likes. That's your reward. And your father is not impressed. In this, we see clear individual warnings against prideful giving, against boastful living, against giving to people and announcing that you're giving to people. And it's, it's just Jesus is so good about this. He's so clear. Sometimes he speaks in parables, and sometimes he, he's saying things specifically that people would, you know, scratch their head. And this is not one of those instances. This is just a real clear instance where everybody's standing around, Lord, like, I, I know the exact people. Roger down the street, sorry if your name's Roger, is always announcing every time he does something good. He wants everybody to know it. And everybody else, when they see that Instagram photo of him helping somebody, is just like, my gosh, Roger, can you just please help somebody? That's really annoying. Why do, you want, why do you want my like? Why do you want the praise of people? But there is also a warning in this passage, not just for individuals, but for pastors and shepherds. There's a warning for organizations as well. And Nick, this warning comes to me, it comes to you, it comes to all the leaders of New City Church. It's a warning that goes to every organization out there that would give to the needy. Um, sadly, it's easy for churches to convince themselves of the opposite. Um, there's a warning in here that churches don't train their people to do this very thing. Um, outreach is a sneaky thing. Outreach as an organization can be a very hard thing. To humbly love your city can be a very difficult thing for organizations to do because organizations want to grow. Churches want to grow. Do we not want to see more and more people meet Jesus here in this city? I mean, there's a legacy of faith in this city. I was just talking to some of your leaders before here about Urbana 1973. And I listened to these sermons from Billy Graham, John Stott, Elizabeth Elliot was there. Listen to all these heroes of the faith. Think about stadiums full of people hearing about Jesus. We want the prayers that people have prayed in generations past to, to come to fruition, that more and more people would meet Jesus and that there would be a gospel presence in every generation in this city. I, we want this for our city, multi-generational faithfulness. We don't want to plant a church that just dies when I die. I want to see a church planted beyond my generation. First generation leadership, that's what you want, you want to see. When you're dead and gone, there's still a new city somewhere gathering here, worshiping Jesus, even if it's by a different name. You want a gospel presence here in this city. 
And sadly, because of that, because we want to see the kingdom of God move forward, we can buy into marketing strategies and train our people to sound the alarm when they go and give and help others. Beware of Christchurch, Carbondale, or New City calling attention to what you are doing for God to get the praise of the city. It's a warning. If we make Instagram posts as churches calling attention to our good works, we should not be surprised when our people do the same. There's a lot of gurus out there, they're everywhere, that convince people and churches that it's okay for organizations to disregard commands like these. We cannot, as pastors and leaders, again, warnings for me and Nick in this passage, warnings for us all, we don't want to, as leaders, catechize, catechize our people in hypocritical evangelistic methods that brings praise to the name of an organization. Churches don't want the reward of the world only to forfeit the reward of their father. From the ground up, every individual in this room and New City Church do the right thing because it pleases your Heavenly Father not to secure the praise of the world. When the praise of people is the chief desire of your heart or an organization's heart, that individual or organization will give up obedience to God to procure what they really want, which is the praise of the world. Disobedience will become acceptable if I can get public approval. And Jesus says there's a better way. There's a better way. Look at verse 3. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So do this. So don't do this. A demonstration of that faulty way of doing it, and then here's an example of what to do. Do this. Here's a better way. When you give, again, the assumption is there that you will give. We can't get around that, that we are giving people. People should be giving. But when you give, don't announce it. Don't stand on the street corner with a bugle or with a trumpet to announce, I'm here to do good works. Don't do that. In fact, not only don't do that, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Your left hand doesn't have eyes. You know, Jesus, he's, again, the master of metaphor. Uh, but don't let this hand know what this hand is doing or this hand know what this hand is doing. Because you're not doing it for other people to see you doing it. Humble generosity drives us to obey the commands of Jesus, even these. Just give in secret. God sees. God sees your good works that he prepared for you to walk in. He sees your humble generosity. And the Father's reward is better than the world's. He will reward you. Um, there was a lady named Margaret at a church that I got to serve at a couple years ago. And she came up to me one week and she said, I don't know, and I still don't even know how all, the, all this works out, but she's like, I, I think that God wants me to give you $500. And I mean, I'm all for it. If anybody here feels that you need to give me $500, I mean, I'm all for that. And other people are for that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, praise God. But there was a specific reason that was so special to me. A couple weeks before, 
I had a, a 1999 Ford Ranger, and I had my hitch on the back of my Ford Ranger, and it was sticking out. I shouldn't have been driving around with that hitch on there, but I went down to pay my water bill downtown, and I backed up, and I didn't account for my hitch that I'd left on the back of my truck, and I backed up into a vehicle, and it happened to be a Cadillac CTS. Had to be a Cadillac, right? And that ball hitch hits that Cadillac, bumps the, the Cadillac, and it creates a small little bump. And, you know, of course, look, look around. Is anybody here? Nobody's here. So I write a little note in shame, you know. And I get a call about an hour later, and somebody says, hey, we, we got to take care of this, you know. And uh, he said, I'm going to bring it to the dealer. And then a couple hours later, he said, hey, I'm, I'm actually not going to bring it to the dealer. I'm going to bring it north of town. And, uh, and then I'll, let, I'll just let you know. Here, like the next next day, he called me up and they said, "Hey, they said they're going to be able to fix fix it for 500 bucks." And so I'm thinking, "Yes, I don't have to call my insurance. This is phenomenal." And that very next Sunday, Margaret Samo comes up to me, and she said, "Hey, here's $500 to the penny. Here, $500 check." She didn't announce to anybody, "I'm giving $500 to Jared and Jordan today." When she found out, and I told her through tears, "Thank you so much," because I, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, and it was a big deal. 500 bucks was a big deal at that stage of our life. And uh, I looked at her through tears and said, thank you so much. You don't know how much this means to me. I didn't announce it to everybody. She didn't say, you know what? I followed the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I want everybody to know that I am a spirit-led woman. She didn't do it. And she received her reward from her heavenly father. Margaret Samuel actually is in the presence of the Lord right now. Uh, nobody knew that, but Jordan and I did. It was a special day. It was a day I'll never forget. Um, Humble generosity. When you give. When you give. Um, I, I don't have a theological paradigm for us today for what exactly this reward is. You know, it's clear, and your Father who sees it in secret will reward you. I don't know exactly what that reward is. I don't know if it's exclusively in heaven. I don't know if it procures temporal blessing and reward even in this life. I don't know exactly all the ins and outs of that, but I, here's what I know for sure. Your Father will reward you. Because Jesus says that. Your Father will reward you. It is a promise. God rewards those who obey him. I'm not talking about earning favor. I'm not talking about earning forgiveness. I'm not talking about earning grace. I repudiate all of that. All of that. But God rewards humble generosity. We see it right here. Jesus says it. It's a promise. So, so Jesus takes us, as he always does in the Sermon on the Mount and other places, to the heart of the matter. What's the real issue? Let's kind of move the debris here, and let's get to this issue of generosity. Why is this impulse there to announce our giving to the world? Why is this impulse there to have one eye on the Lord Jesus Christ and one eye on the watching world? Why is that there? Let's get to the heart of the matter. And Jesus does that by talking about treasures. Consider treasures. What do you treasure? And so if you'll skip ahead a few verses, and these things connect together, we're still talking about money in verse 24 at the bottom of this little section here. You can see you can't serve two masters. You're either going to love one or hate the other. You cannot serve God and money. We're still talking about money here. But now Jesus is talking about it in this word treasure, treasure. Look at verse 19. Do not, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So instead of the word beware... We get the word, do not. Do not do this. And then in verse 20 through 21, you get a do this. Do this. So do not do this. Don't lay up for yourself treasures. This is key, treasures on earth. 
It's key. Um, treasures on earth that are for yourself, they can rust. They decay. And we all know this. Every one of us knows this. Uh, because things you used to treasure, um, they're either not in the same condition that they used to be, or you've already sold it in a yard sale. Temporary things have a shelf life no matter what it is. They, they decay. They get older. They break. They fall apart. Serious work has to be done to restore something that has rust or decay. Rust. <laughs> rust. <laughs> I've never seen anything with rust. And please, I mean, it's okay to humor me with some fake laughter. Things, treasures on earth can be destroyed. They can be stolen. They can be stolen, taken away. They can deteriorate. Don't build a massive treasure for yourself and then give your heart to it, whatever that massive treasure is. Again, Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter of all of this. Whatever it is that you're treasuring on this, in this world, temporal, that you gain through money and that you now possess, it won't come through for you and it never will. We're preaching through, we just finished preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes and Ecclesiastes is all about that. You can do, you can, I mean, do more, more noble pursuits through hard work, you can build, but eventually those buildings begin to not satisfy anymore. You look at it and think, I built that, and it's just not enough. On to the next project. The treasures we lay up for ourselves, if we give our heart to it, they will not come through for us. It never does. Living for yourself never, never does. And this self-love, self-care, self-forgive idolatry that's out there that's trans kind of like evolved from the self-help movement into the self-care, self-love, self, all that is all ridiculous nonsense. It's ridiculous nonsense. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. That's what Jesus says. Deny yourself. That's one of the most offensive things he says to 2020 world, by the way, especially to 2020 mom culture. Deny yourself. Living for yourself never comes through. Uh, greed, holding on, gathering in, it destroys your heart. It just does. And Jesus is warning against it. It does not bring joy. It brings rot and decay all around. Sin always hurts. Greed always hurts. Not just you, but others around you as well. But instead, do this. Look at verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Heart, heart. This is about your heart. Lay up for yourselves instead treasures in heaven. These treasures in heaven, they do not grow old. They do not deteriorate. They do not get rust. They can't be stolen. Lay up for yourselves treasures there. And by God's grace, we can do that. By God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to live our lives building treasures here on this earth. We can live today, today, this Sunday, the rest of our day, we can live to build treasures that can't be taken away. Treasures in heaven. Um, th this passage has somewhat been ethereal to me in the past. 
because I want, I want to know, okay, well, what are the treasures and how do I build these treasures? What does that, even, what does that look like then? In the context of humble generosity and, and how, how do I build treasures in heaven? Do I just become a generous person only obeying my heavenly father, not having an eye on the watching world and just give abundantly and freely? I used to think this meant when I was a, a younger man that I wanted to die without having any savings account because I'd given all my money away and I wanted to leave an example of generosity to my children. And uh, I didn't know that that would have been sinful generosity. It would have been, wouldn't have been gener generosity at all, actually. Because the Bible regulates how we are to give our money. Not our money, his money. The money he has given you. The Bible regulates wise ways to build up treasures for ourselves. The scriptures do this. And we can use this as a diving board into the rest of the Bible and just kind of do a biblical survey and ask, well, how do we do this generosity thing from a humble manner? Is it just give money away? When I was first in pastoral ministry, I just thought the benevolence account, you just give it to whoever asks. And I remember going and just giving money to people. And, and it's certainly a noble pursuit than not giving, more noble pursuit than not giving money. But I gave money and we weren't helping them do anything. We weren't helping them how to balance a checkbook. We weren't helping them actually live their life. And so we were giving money away, just giving money away and giving money away. But we weren't actually helping people. And so there is a more and less noble way to be generous. There is a humble way to be generous, and there is a God-instructed way to be generous. And I want to ask you just to consider a few of these things. Uh, how, how do we build treasures in heaven? I can't give you the, all the answers of what those treasures are in heaven. There's so many things about the eternal state, about reward, that I cannot answer for you that I'll probably never be able to answer for you. But we can get some answers and some handles on how can we build treasures in heaven now, remember, we're talking about money. We looked at it. I want you to look at it again. Verse 24, we're still talking about money here. You can't serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be, be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. That's impossible. We're talking about money here. So when we think about treasures, what are we going to do with this money? What kind of treasures are we going to build as we use the money that God has given us? And I want you to consider a few things. Your money and your possessions are not for yourself and your kingdom. And so the Bible is going to regulate and put parameters around how we build these treasures. Number one, uh, we are to give to the Lord by giving to our local church. It can be an awkward thing. It shouldn't be for pastors to stand up. And I, I mean, it is for some reason, but it shouldn't be this uh, awkward thing to say, give to the Lord. Um, give. We are called to give. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14 says this, In the same way the Lord commanded that those who preach the gospel should get their living by the gospel. In other words, pay your shepherd. Take care of, in Nick's case, he is a vocational pastor. Take care of your pastor. 1 Timothy 5 tells us that we're to meet the needs of widows. As you give to the church, you're taking care of those who are preaching the gospel and you're taking care of the widows in your church if you have them. You're to take care of orphans. Second Corinthians chapter 8 says that we are to give, and the church of Macedonia was this great example of this, to give to fund a local mission and mission abroad. So if you want to build treasures for yourself in the heavenly places that cannot grow old, that can't be taken away from you, Humbly give to your local church. Acts chapter 2, 4, 6, and, and two, chapter 2, 4, and 6, we're told that as you give to your local church, the local church is taking care of each other. 
So as you give generously and humbly, not announcing it in the street corner, you know, up here, hey, I'm giving right now, and here's how much I'm giving. As you give to a local church in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're building yourself up treasures. Now, secondly, we are to give to our family. Your, your children are the most needy people you know. We're to give to our children. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says this, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, we really don't even have a, a category or frame of reference for what it means to be worse than an unbeliever. But if, if there's a man who is unwilling to provide for his family, not just materially, spiritually, temporal needs as well, but if, he, if he's not willing to work and take care of his family, he is in the category of worse than an unbeliever. That's a, from the Apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's a stern warning. We are to take care of our family. And so taking care of our family, our household, there's several things that pop up and bubble up to the surface that are needs. There, there's immediate needs in our household. You think about your, your wife and your children that are in your home, uh, grandchildren. If you take care of grandchildren, you think about the needs that you see in the world. And immediately the needs that kind of just are right in front of you every day are your children. Take care of your family. If you want to Build treasures in heaven. Humbly take care of your children. When you, when you use the money that God has given you to take care of your children's needs, that's what you are doing. Your father sees that, and he is pleased. Not appeased. Big difference. He's not appeased. By the cross and cross alone is the wrath of God appeased. But he is pleased. Big difference. Category difference. Your children have immediate needs. They also have long-term needs. When you open up a savings account in their name and you teach your children how to be wise with money, you are being generous with them and building treasures in heaven. Or how about this word inheritance? Proverbs 13, says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, For children are not obligated to save for their parents, but parents for their children. Children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Uh, most Christians struggle, and most people in the world struggle to think past right now. This idea of delayed gratification is such a counter idea to the way the world is. Has anybody seen the, the marshmallow test on uh, YouTube or, the, or, or anywhere, the, you know, the marshmallow test where you tell a kid, you know, if you sit here, you can have one marshmallow, but if you wait and you have two marshmallows, and then, you know, over the years, they studied those who could delay gratification and those who couldn't. And those who were able to delay gratification ended up being more, quote-unquote, uh, by the parameters they set, successful. But this idea of delayed gratification, as we train our children in this, and if we delay our gratification for what we want right now to lay up an inheritance for our children and for our grandchildren, friends, that is what, that's what the Bible is calling us to do. That's what laying up treasures in heaven look like. Taking care of who God has entrusted to you. If you have children, you have obligations to them that supersede your obligations to the rest of the needy world. Let me, let me say that again. If you have children, you have obligations to them that supersede your obligations to the rest of the needy world. Your kids are needy. If you stop going to the grocery store, if you stop working, paying the bills and washing their sheets and making sure they have a, a clean and safe place to be, where are they going to be? You have obligations to them. The, see, the Bible regulates our generosity, and we are to give in that way to honor the Lord and take care of our family. 
So number two, we are to, to give to our family. Um, uh, three, give money to Christian family. Give money to, how do we lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven? Give money to Christian family. Now, this is beyond just giving to your local church. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says this. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. That's what we're to, we're, let us do good to everyone. Anybody you see, that guy over there, that lady over there, that, you know, old woman crossing the street, whoever, let us do good to everyone. The guy asking for change in the corner downtown, let us do good to everyone. And then here's what the apostle tells the churches in Galatia. And especially those who are of the household of faith. Especially those who are of the household of faith. John says this in John 13, 35, by this all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for the world. You're a Bible-loving people here. You know that that's not right. If you have love for one another. There's a wonderful community that God's building here. You're blood-bought, brothers and sisters. And just like in the book of Acts, if it gets to a point where you have a brother or sister here that is in need, and you can't open up your wallet and meet that need, and as 1 Thessalonians tells us, if they're willing to work, if they're unwilling to work, that, that's a different category. But if you don't have the money to help, then we should be willing to sell what, that couch to meet that need. That's what Christians do. We take care of each other. And when the watching world looks and, and they see us, yeah, loving people, loving the world, but if I'm a part of that community, that community knows how to take care of itself. They love each other. They're doing good to everybody, but I see a special love that they have for the brothers. You know, churches used to, in different denominations, used to call everybody brother and sister. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. Um, and there's theological truth to that. Brothers, sisters in Christ. Uh, the world is watching, and when they see us loving the brothers, taking care of the brothers, there's something in that. They turn their attention and say, oh, my goodness, they're loving each other even more than they're loving me. And there's something that draws people into that. That's what John says. Give to Christians in need before you do non-Christians in need. This can war against what feels right. In a minute, I'm going to get to the Good Samaritan. In a minute, I'm going to get to giving to those who ask you to give. There's nothing wrong with that. But we have obligations to each other in this room to the person to your left and to your right and front and behind than to any poor person in this city. To anybody else in this need in the world, you have obligations here because you're family. Jesus hasn't just saved you, he saved this family. Let us do good to everyone, especially those who are the household of faith. The world gets convinced that we're disciples of Christ not by our love for the world, but by our love for each other. So you want to build up treasures for yourself? Humbly take care of each other. That's what Margaret Samuel was doing. That's what she was doing. She was doing good to everyone, but especially those of the household of faith when she came and said, here is a check for $500. Number four, give to the non-Christian, the poor. The poor non-Christian or the poor person that's out in the city. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37 tells the story of the Good Samaritan. There's a man who is beaten, and all these religious people walk by, and then there was this one Samaritan, and Jesus, in an astonishing manner, represents and holds up the Samaritan. The Samaritan as the hero of the story who went and binded up the wounds of this man and, uh, and paid his room and board, and, and even though the man was beaten and bleeding on the street, he didn't walk around, but he went right up and met the need. There are needy people in this world, and they are our neighbors. 
the point of that is the people were asking Jesus, you know, who's our neighbors? And they're, you know, like, can I get out of helping them? Because I know that my, like, my next door neighbor is my neighbor, but like the guy that's like five houses down, is that really my neighbor? And he's the guy whose dog comes to my yard every morning and he doesn't use a bag to pick up what the dog leaves. Jesus, is that my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story about the Good Samaritan. Yeah, even this man who was beaten on the street, who the Samaritan didn't know, the Samaritan went up and helped this man, and that was good. We should be like that Samaritan, helping the man who is beaten on the street. The needy in this world are our neighbors. Now, 2020 has been talking about love your neighbor, right? I mean, the mask thing and all, love your neighbor. And here's the impulse. I hope, like, we all want to love our neighbors, right? Like, we hopefully, the Spirit of God is in us. We want to love our neighbors. But here's the truth. 2020 didn't teach us that. Jesus did. The media didn't teach us what loving your neighbor is. Jesus has taught us to love our neighbors. And part of loving our neighbors is meeting the needs that they have and telling them about the greatest need that they have, which is to know Jesus, to have their sins forgiven. How do we store up treasures in heaven? Number one, give to the church. Number two, give to your family. Number three, give to Christians. Number four, give to the needy and do this in a humble manner, not with one eye on the world, but both eyes. Heavenly Father, my eyes are on you and I want to honor you with what you have given me. But remember, this is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. The greedy man looks at everything that God has given him, all the money that God has given him, and instead of wanting to do what God has called him to do with that money, instead of building up those treasures in heaven, he rejects that and just wants to build up treasures for himself. He loves to use money for himself, not in the way God has told him to use money. All the extra is going to go to himself, not to others. Look at verse 22 through 23. What do your eyes desire? There's going to be a difference here between those who want to honor the Father, honor their Heavenly Father, and those who just want to build a kingdom or treasures for themselves. Look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What your eyes see or what your eyes reveal is almost identical to what your heart reveals. What do your eyes desire? The eye can be good or bad. It's a window in, just, just like the heart. It's a window inside to see what's happening. What do your eyes, when you see money, when you see possessions, what do you see? Do you see a resource that can be used for God and his purposes? Or do you see money and possession to be used for you and your purposes? It's just a real simple question. When you see money, when you see wealth, when you think about where you're going to be or that 401k that's growing, and you're talking about dividends and everything that you're investing in the stock market, as the stock market is right now before the election, um, as you think about 10 years down the road, or your 20-year plan or your 30-year plan, as you're thinking about a hunting cabin that you want to build. Amen. Amen. Nick says. Um, so as you think about those things, like what are you seeing? Is your money for you and your purposes or is it a resource that can be used for God and his purposes? 
Are you willing to say, God, whatever, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do whatever resource you give me. Whatever you give me, it's going to be for you and your purposes, and I want to honor you with it. We have to slay the greed dragon. You have to slay that greed dragon that's inside of you. Even as people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have this thing called indwelling sin. And as Jesus gives us the Sermon on the Mount, we recognize, oh, man, I got a long way to go. And there are people, I've been walking with the Lord now. The Lord redeemed me when I was a young man. My son just became a Christian this year as well. Uh, little boy, just excited. I got to baptize him. Uh, I, got, I became a Christian when I was five. So I've been walking with the Lord now for, for a good while, for 32 years. So you can I just turn 37. I'm getting closer to 40, you know. Feeling pretty good about it. But I've uh, been walking with the Lord for a long time now. There's some people in here who've been walking with the Lord a lot longer than me. And one of the things you realize is, you know, you kind of year by year goes, goes on, you realize, huh, I've not arrived. I've not arrived. There's still pockets of selfishness in me, and sometimes I see it, and it's ugly. You see more and more the older you get how much I need Jesus and his finished work. I'm dependent upon him. God, I need your mercy you have to slay that greed dragon. You can't serve two masters. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Serve, key, serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Um, the slave and master metaphor and reality is in the scriptures. And this slave and master, this, this master term here is, is wanting to, Jesus is wanting us to understand that you're either going to be a slave, a servant of the Most High God, which is how the Apostle Paul describes himself, for instance, in the book of Philippians or, the, or Jude. Uh, Jesus' half-brother describes himself in the book of Jude or the Apostle Peter describes himself a servant or slave of our master, Jesus Christ. You're either going to be owned and possessed by God or by money. It's going to own you. And if you let it, if you don't draw a line in the sand, if you don't plant your flag and say, I'm not going to be used by money. I will not serve it. It's not my master. And when people live as if money is their master, they will be owned by it and they will be destroyed by it. And we've got to slay that greed dragon. We don't want to walk the way of the world. We want to destroy. We don't live for that master. We're owned by somebody else. I've been bought with a price. Money's not bought me. You can't serve God or money. Money's a bad master. But you know what? Jesus is a pretty good master. Serve him instead. Let me just talk to you about my owner, my master, King Jesus. Jesus is a kind and generous master. I love being owned by him. He takes care of what's his, takes care of his property. He makes sure that we have all we need for his work. Let me say that again. He takes care of us. He takes care of his property. 
He makes sure we have all that we need for His work. He gives us a mission and a purpose. We don't have to go find one. Your life is prescribed to you. You're in the service of the king. You're in his army. You have been commissioned. We get to take orders. We don't get to define them. We don't have to go find our purpose and mission in life. How great is that? We're catechizing our kids. Who made you? God. What else did God make? Everything. Why did God make you in all things? For his glory. How can we glorify God, glorify God? By loving and obeying him. Why do we glorify God? Because he loves me, he made me, and he takes care of me. We've been given our marching orders. We don't have to go find our life mission because our King Jesus has given us our life mission. Go into all the world, baptizing, making disciples, and training them to do all that I've commanded you to do. There's this thing called the Great Commission. There's your mission. There's your purpose. There's New City's purpose. There's every church's purpose. We all have the same exact purpose. He gives us a purpose and mission. Jesus, as our kind and generous master, protects what he owns. He will not sell you to the highest bidder. You are not for sale, and neither am I. The enemy may come in the night. You may have your wanderings. You may backslide. Jesus will keep you in his possession. The world has no claim on you. Even your flesh is in his possession. That sinful battle that rages on, he owns that. He owns all of you. So hear me today at New City Church. Do not serve money and use Jesus. Serve Jesus, your kind and generous master, and use money. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want humble generosity. We want our generosity to be guided. We don't want to be frivolous with the gifts that you have given us. We want to honor you with them. Jesus, thank you for getting to the heart of the matter over and over again. As I stated in the beginning, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that's heard the sermon today and they hear the commands of Jesus and they're exposed and they're just, oh my gosh, I, I, am, I have sinned against God. I am greedy. I am living for myself. I do want the attention of everybody else and the praise of everybody else. And I don't care if I've got the reward of the Father or not. God, I pray they would be broken of their sin and they would humbly, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, I pray you would grant them repentance this morning. And I pray that they would cry out for mercy. And for every believer in here, God, I pray that there would be no condemnation in this room. You have told us that you have cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is not one sin that dwells raging inside of us that's going to be held against us because of what Christ has done. It is finished. Therefore, therefore, by your grace, we can humbly repent and without fear walk in obedience. So help us do that this morning, Jesus. We thank you. Holy Spirit, lead us. I trust you will. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.